Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Now, I want to talk about vision today, and I want to talk about seeing what God sees. Sometimes I think we we miss what God is saying and we miss what God is doing in the spirit because we are conditioned to live according to the limitations of our physical sight. I think that happens a lot, actually. I think it's quite common for Christians to navigate life living two-dimensionally. In other words, just looking at what's before them and trying to rationalize and reason and logically work out what they should do next. But the scriptures say, in fact, Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, we live, according by, uh, we live by faith and not by sight. That there's this invitation that calls everybody who calls Jesus Lord to live according to a supernatural leading, a vision that is beyond the physical, a vision that is beyond the present and the now. And so I've subtitled uh, this message today, uh, Seeing Beyond the Now, because that's really the goal of vision. And over the next four weeks, I guess I really want to grapple with this idea is, what is God um, putting before us and what is God saying to us about the future of this church, about the future of what's to come? And is it possible that as a Christian community that we live with supernatural vision? And actually, I think a lot of the teaching won't just apply to us corporately, it will apply to us individually as well. Because actually, if you can get a vision for your marriage or a vision for your career or a vision for your parenting, actually, there's an upside to life here. Because as believers, when we're born again and filled with the Spirit of God, um, we don't live according to the flesh. We live according to the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And it's a constant conflict. There's a constant tension between the flesh and the spirit. You will have felt this at times where you are feeling tempted to sin, uh, tempted to watch something you shouldn't watch, tempted to say something you shouldn't say, tempted to think something you shouldn't think. And that's the conflict. Paul talks about it as those two realities, the flesh and the spirit, rubbing against each other. And really the goal of vision is to ensure that the spirit wins in your life. And that the Spirit wins in our life. And so I want us to look at Joshua chapter 6. It's something that I've spoken about briefly before. We also did it in the uh, Bible reading plan recently. We worked through um, the, the, the issue of faith and we looked at this verse briefly. But I'm only going to use this as a springboard for this morning and for the series. Because I just want to help you understand what I'm trying to say. So Joshua 6 verse 1 says, Now the gates of Jericho. So let me just give a bit of context here. Joshua is Moses' successor. Moses has led the people of God out of um, Egyptian slavery, even though they'd been there for hundreds of years. And God's goal for the Israelites, God's vision for the Israelites, was to lead them into a place of liberty, a place called Canaan, the promised land where the people of God would be free to worship their God. And so that was God's goal for the Israelites. And yet by Joshua 6... Joshua had taken on from Moses, and they hit a wall, literally. They'd been wandering in the wilderness, and now they come to Jericho. And Jericho is a fortified city with massive walls. Not just massive as in high, but massive as in deep. These walls were really strong, really fortified, and impenetrable, okay, to the average human. 
And we read this in verse 1. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. In other words, those in Jericho were petrified about the Israelites advancing through their city, and so they went into lockdown. I mean, you thought 2020 was bad. This was a hyper-lockdown. The city was in lockdown. And it actually says no one went out and no one came in. This city was totally shut off. Okay, so that's the reality. Everyone say reality. That's the reality. Okay, now look at this, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, what did he say? What's the first word? See. See. How do you see normally? With your eyes. So he says, see, this bit is comical. I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Okay, let's go back to verse 1 just for a minute, just quick. The gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, in this moment, Joshua's eyes weren't lying to him. The, the, the reality was... These fortified walls were shut and the city was in lockdown, yet God was provoking Joshua to engage a different set of eyes, the eyes of the Spirit. Something that was already done in the Spirit before it had come to pass. So Joshua's here and God is inviting Joshua to see the breakthrough, the victory, the deliverance even though the reality was one of no breakthrough, no deliverance, just a massive wall, and God says, look, I've given it to you. I just wonder how often uh, God invites us to see beyond our current state. I think often one of the demoralizing components of faith is that so often we live uh, restricted and limited by the physical vision that we have. You know, I just feel now just saying, like, maybe some of you have children that don't know Christ. Maybe they've walked away from the Lord. Maybe they were passionate in their day. But maybe in recent years, they've just, if you like, joined the rat race and have decided to pursue worldly pleasures and worldly wins and all this. And I just get this sense that maybe God's saying to you today, look, see, I am reaching your child. See. I'm intervening in your child's life. To actually engage the eyes of faith. I wonder if maybe your marriage is in a difficult space and in a difficult spot and it feels like you're just rubbing up each other the wrong way in the most holy sense of that, that word. Okay, and, and God's inviting you to see beyond the current state of your marriage. Because actually, God knows that vision is a key component to victory. I'll say that again. Vision is a key factor in knowing victory in your life. That's why Satan wants to, Satan, for those of you who don't know, is a fallen angel of God who is trying to elevate himself to the status of God and he's trying to influence the world in his way. And that's why Satan wants to block your vision and get you to live according to the physical reality before you because vision brings breakthrough. In Proverbs 29, um, 
the, the, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, says that without vision, he says people perish. Because his observation as the king was that basically when you don't have foresight, when you don't have knowledge, when you don't have that divine revelation, you're on your own. And when that's the case, what does it lead to? It leads to destruction. But if you think about the opposite reality of that, if you have vision, what does it lead to? It leads to blessing. It leads to breakthrough. It leads to victory. And to go back to that passage, Joshua 6, God says to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Listen to this. The victory did not start with a fight. Neither did the victory start with a march. It started with a vision. Often when we think of the Joshua 6 story, we straight away think to the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And sometimes we work that back and think, no, it wasn't just that the walls came down. It was that the people responded in obedience to marching around the walls X amount of times in response to what God had instructed. But actually, if you really know your scripture, it didn't even start there. What it started with was a spiritual vision of the breakthrough that was not yet in their hands. And so like this morning, how do we engage the eyes of the Spirit? to see what God is saying about the church. Because Satan is working hard to discourage and demoralize the people of God into living in a two-dimensional manner that feeds on the word of BBC. We listen to the news, we watch the media, we troll social media, and what it is, it's like going in a boxing ring with Mike Tyson, a beating on the people of God, suppressing their faith, championing fear and anxiety to the place where we are impotent and we just cannot move because we're like, these walls are too big, this city is too strong, the army is too vast. But just what if God is saying to us today, just imagine. See, I've given you Paul. I've given you Dorset. What if he's saying to the church of Jesus Christ, I've given you this nation? I mean, that's a, that's a compelling, and you might say, wishful word, but actually I don't think that it's unscriptural at all. Because the goal of the gospel has always been to take it from our home to the furthest places of the planet. Because actually, newsflash, contrary to popular belief, we're on the winning side. Contrary to everything that everybody would say about Christianity being archaic, outdated, and irrelevant, this has never been more relevant. This has never been more timely. In a time where the world is absolutely choked and, and bound and yoked to deception of mega proportions, the gospel has never been more powerful. The harvest field has never been more ripe. 
The harvest field has never been more bountiful. And what's the invitation of Jesus? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Because it's ready. It's ready and it's ripe. In fact, I think it's more ready than it's ever been. I actually think it's easier in these days to be a Christian. Because evil is so obvious. You know, we've come through the subtle phase. People are now just championing wickedness because they love it. Not because they're deceived as much as they, that's wicked. We love wickedness. That's what the scripture says will happen in the end times. And actually what they end up saying is, what the scripture says is that they will call wicked good. People will be so confused that they will champion immoral behaviors, immoral thinking, and call it righteous. That's the time in which we're living. And so when I say it's never been easier for a Christian to be alive, what I mean by that is not that the times are easy, but when it's so dark, the light is more powerful. In the Gospel of John, it talks about Jesus coming to the earth, and it says that light has come to the world and darkness cannot understand it. It's almost like darkness is scratching its head, understanding, well, how, how do we suppress this light? How do, we, how do we bottle this light into a place where light cannot advance? But when you look through church history and revival history, let me tell you this. China, when it's at its darkest, is its most fruitful for the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's crazy. Before the persecution of Chairman Mao, two million Christians on census. After that crazy regime, 200 million Christians on census. Why? Because the kingdom of God advances when the principalities and powers are present. Like, we shouldn't be like going, oh, the world's so scary, let's go into our homes and just lock the doors and like put scaffolding planks on the windows and just pray for Jesus to return. That is not the, that's not the plan, that's not the goal. The goal is for the church to rise, not to fade. The, the goal is for the church to shine, not to be dullened. That's the goal. It's good news. Because we're on the winning side. I was expecting more drama there. We're on the winning side. Okay. We're on the winning side. It's rubbish. Okay. I tried. We're on the winning side. On the winning side. And so uh, on the basis of that, I want to, what I love, just, just to say, Joshua 6, verse 5, it says, the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. That it wasn't the vision and then the breakthrough. It was the vision, then it was the march, and then it was the breakthrough. So all I'm trying to say is vision without activity doesn't lead to the win. It's vision and Activity, vision, and response in obedience brings the walls down. Just believing right now. I'm believing right now. Even as I pray that there are, there are walls in the spirit that the enemy has erected to try and stop the advancement of the church in this area. And these walls affect you every single day. But because you don't always engage the eyes of faith, you just see it as a difficult situation rather than an agenda of the enemy to try to constrain your witness. And so right now, God, we just pray, bring the walls down in Jesus' name. God, every stronghold in this area 
every fortified city of the Spirit that has been erected for the enemy that keep the people um, dull to the gospel. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would bring it down. God, give us a vision. Give us a vision of Paul on fire for Jesus. Give us a vision of this district, of this county on fire for Jesus, Lord God. God, help us to be a people that see with the eyes of faith and march with the feet of faith, God, to see the advancement of the kingdom of God in 2023. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. I pray it, Lord. I pray it. I ask it, Jesus. God, would you give us vision and would you give us strength and conviction to not just stand in 2023, but march forth in 2023. In Jesus' name, amen. So often we think the enemy is circling us. In this portion of Scripture, we see the people of God circling him. And actually in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome. And I've, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again because I don't mind saying things over and over again if I think that there's some truth in it that we need to receive. Gates, gates are not an offensive weapon. In other words, that when he says the gates of hell will not overcome the church, it's not that Satan is running to us with gates to go, <laughs> you know, get back. <laughs> it's actually we go run into the kingdom of darkness and shake the gates of hell. That actually the gates of hell will not withstand the pressure and urgency of the church that Jesus is building. I love that picture. The church, maybe in the UK, it has become religious. Maybe in the UK, it has become apathetic. But if you look at the church as a whole, worldwide, make no mistake about it, the church is still God's plan for reaching a dark and dying world. The church still works. Still works. So, I've been in um, many, uh, you know, I've been in leadership, full-time ministry since 2007, okay? Um, Before I was married, before we had kids, came out of Bible college, started working at this church, actually, as a a youth worker. Wow, that's what I wanted. I remember that next time. I want to do something profound like this. Um, that I've done many courses. I've done pastoral courses, leadership courses, um, healing courses, deliverance courses, marriage courses, parenting courses. I've done loads of courses. But last year, I did a first for me, okay? So I've done like hundreds of courses. This was a brick-laying course. I, I decided I wanted to up-spec my DIY passion and move from timber to brick. And so I looked on Google, and I saw that Paul had a night course thing happening, like a college thing at Paul College. There was a night course that you could pay to go on, and you could do like three months of brick-laying kind of learning. And I was really excited about it. Also a little bit terrified by it, because my, I guess, wrongly, what I thought it would be was loads of kids with ASBOs, you know, being told by the police that they needed to do something more productive with their time. And not that I have an issue with that at all, but my thought was, I'm just going to look like a granddad, like, um, and, and I'm just going to be in a crazy place trying to learn bricklaying for the next three months. 
As it goes, I couldn't be further from the truth. There were qualified landscapers, electricians, plasterers on this course. And when we gather, gathered around the tutor in the first session, he says, right, tell me your name and tell me what you do for a living, okay? And uh, he works around the room and one of them was like, I'm Tony, I'm a landscaper. I'm John, I'm an electrician. And it really made sense for him. He was like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. So you're looking to upspec your landscaping business. You want to start building some dwarf walls and retaining walls and gardens. That makes total sense. And, and I could see, as luck would have it, I was at the end of the circle. There's about 16 of us. And I'm thinking, this is going to be the weirdest thing ever. This is going to be literally the weirdest thing ever. He says, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. <laughs> and he said to me, oh, is it not working out? <laughs> Now, at the time, it wasn't really working out, to be honest. And so I was like, not really, but that's beside the point. That's not why I'm here. He was like, oh, right. He, says, he said to me, well, are you trying to build a church? I was like, kind of. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm actually trying to build the church. And obviously, he was thinking I was building a church building. Obviously, I'm thinking about a spiritual, a spiritual building of God. And it's really funny because... Um, one of the first things you learn in bricklaying, and unfortunately, most of the people on my course were chain smokers, and so they'd miss so many key parts of the information that the tutor was giving, that naturally, I just kind of ascended to the top of the pile. I was just doing really well, because I was getting all the information, and I was a bit of a teacher's pet, because I wanted to learn. And, um, you know, for the first time in my life, I had a teacher who enjoyed me being in their class, which is great. And... Um, one of the things, the first thing he teaches you with bricklaying is, he says, this is something that, that cowboys never do and novices never do, and it's called setting out. And what you do with setting out is you, you put the bricks down in the order that you're going to want to lay them so that by the time you get to the end of your wall, you know you're not going to be caught short, like there's not going to be an overkick or whatever, and then you can put your stretcher bond or your half bond on top or whatever. So the key to effective bricklaying is that you start by setting out, putting the bricks one after another, dry without cement, and then coming back with cement and putting them into position, obviously after your foundation's done. And, you know, I was thinking about that with the context of vision, is that over the next four weeks, what we want to do is do a bit of setting out. We want to go, okay, what is this church about? Who is this church called to be? Like, what is it that God is calling us to do? And so often we just get on with it and we just launch ministries and we, we run Sunday services and we release small groups and all those things are brilliant. But what happens if actually we just take a bit of time setting out methodically what is it that we felt God saying in recent history to us as a church so that we know what we're building is in line with his will and his agenda. Now, I'm, I am running out of time and that's okay. But what I want to do is, some of you who have been here a little while will have heard me share this before, but I'm going to share it again. And I'm going to level with you. It's quite difficult for me to share because I have been a little bit like Jonah with it. I felt like I heard God speak to me and show me stuff in the Spirit. And I bought it confidently. And then to be honest, went through a season of feeling so far from it that I found it irritating <laughs> um, and something I didn't really want to talk about all that much because what I felt like it spoke to 
was failure rather than success. But through the course of January, at the turn of the new year, I just really sensed God was beginning as we launched a new senior leadership team, as we said farewell to some key staff members, that actually it was time to dust off uh, this dream, this vision, and bring it back before you and submit it to you for your prayerful consideration. A few years ago, uh, it was probably about, I don't know, maybe five, I can't even remember now. Um, It was a little while ago. Zeke was very young, so I'm guessing it was probably five years ago. I went to bed as usual, and I, I, I never really know how to share this effectively, but I had this really vivid dream. And um, it's weird because I knew as soon as I opened my eyes in the dream, I knew God was showing me something significant that spoke to our future. And as I, as I was in the dream, the vision I had was there was a keyboard in front of me and I was looking at a warehouse full of people, full of people, um, not scattered across the room, but heaving, like really full of people. And there was just a spirit of expectation in the people. There was a, a desire, a passion, a burden, a conviction that, that, that God was going to meet with us in this moment. And I was, I was on the other side of the stage, but I was stood behind a keyboard like this, and it felt like the atmosphere was ripe, ready for the presence of God to show up and for lives to be changed. And so I went to play a chord, and I felt God say to me, don't touch that keyboard, okay? And so I was like, all right. So I stepped back like this, and I looked to my left, and there was drums, but no one was on it, and there was a bassist. I don't know what relevance they have, to be honest, at this stage. But I looked over, and I thought, like, oh, no, there was no drums. There was just a bassist. That's right. And I didn't see a drum kit, and I was like, how is God going to move without a drum kit? Scratching my head. Everyone knows that God doesn't come unless there's a functioning drum kit in the church. And so I stood there, and I just waited and just, I guess, engaged into the atmosphere, just excited about what God would do. And then at the back of the room, there was a murmuring of singing that just started to rise in this warehouse. And, and it, it wasn't an old hymn. It was actually the song Alive by Young and Free. You are, you are, you are my freedom. We lift you higher. You come alive in us. That one, I won't sing it too much because people listening to the podcast won't find it pleasurable. But, you know, it was in the back of the room and slowly the song filtered and rose in intensity to the point where by the time it hit the platform, it was undeniable that God was working in the people of God. Undeniable. And this song was just like, it was almost like the chorus of angels. Just people who were belting it out in an undignified way. Not that they were doing crazy things, but they just weren't conscious of their own presence. They were only conscious of his presence. And as this song just started to filter forth, it was just, it was a motive. It was... It was just incredible, and I think one of the reasons it was so incredible in the dream is that it didn't require any musical support, because it wasn't the competency of music that was making it powerful, it was the presence of God that was making it powerful. And what I knew in this room is that it was filled, and this was the word that God gave to me, with battle-tested believers, people who had gone through crap, 
People who had really gone through hardship and difficulty. People who, who had experienced heartache upon heartache and yet were still showing up to the house of God to worship him. And so there was no trying to compel people to worship. There was no opening thought from inspiring worship leader and no quality music coming from the platform. It was all coming from the people. It was just like an overflow, an overflow of what God was doing on the inside of them. And as it hit the platform, I felt God say to me, okay, it's working. He says, you can start playing. And so I just started playing that. To be honest, that song has stuck in my spirit since that dream, just that way. Often when I get onto my piano at home, it probably drives Louise mad because it's near the kitchen. You know, she'll be cooking and I'll just go. I used to have loads more songs in my repertoire, but this is just the song I always want to play when I get to a piano. Because it reminds me of this moment. What else was cool about the dream is as we were worshipping God, I saw two women in the middle of the congregation with their hands extended, pouring out their praise to God. And I knew that I saw them in Sainsbury's the previous day and they weren't Christians. And so I come into this moment and somehow the presence of God, like a gravitational force, was pulling people in into the, the Christian community of Sunny Hill, of the church. And now these women that I'd seen in Sainsbury's, I think in real life the previous day, I, I knew that somehow in this expression of worship and what I would call revival, they were now saved. And it wasn't just like a sinner's prayer moment. It was just that they were following the expression of the people of God. They were learning on the job. They were learning to worship as they saw other people worshipping around them. And as I looked to the left, there was a door. It was in the middle of the warehouse. There was a door. And I just saw people on the welcome team, literally, almost like, a, like, like everyone on the other side of the door was on a sinking ship. And they were just calling people in. Got to come in. You got to come in. You got to experience God. You got to experience God. The dream went on for about 10 minutes. And then I awoke. And, I mean, it all, it's always rubbish to wake up, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, the day begins now. But this was still the middle of the night. And to be honest, I was like aggrieved because I was like, I'm not ready to leave that place. I want to go back to that, those people. I want to go back to that house of God and I just want to spend forever there. And so I felt God say to me in the spirit as I woke up, because I, I wrote it all down. I, I got up by the side of my bed and I wrote it down. It's about three sides of A4 where I just tried to capture that dream, because I was like, I don't want to ever forget that. And I, I never have forgotten it, obviously. And I felt God saying to my spirit, I felt him say, this is the type of church I'm building. And he said, it's a Psalm 84 church. And obviously, I've read the scriptures a few times, you'll be pleased to know. But I'm rubbish at remembering where passages are. I know John 3.16, I've got that one down. I've even got... A few others down. Is that all right? But God says, I want you to build a Psalm 84 church. And I open my scriptures by my bed, not knowing what I'd find. And this is what I find. It's on the screen. How lovely is your dwelling place, 
Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even in those first two verses, I knew that was it. That was what I was feeling. It was a yearning. It was an expectation. It was a soul just fainting for the living God. It says, like, what I like about it in verse 2, my heart yearns for the courts of the Lord, and my heart and flesh cry out for the living God. This was a God thing, first and foremost, and it was a church thing. Verse 3, even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. In, in that, I need to say, in my dream, there was loads of kids and young people at the front. Um, and I really felt verse 3 spoke to that reality. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. That this was a place where families would thrive. This was a place where families would find freedom and nourishment and provision. In verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, which means dry places, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And in that moment, verse 6, as I was reading it, I was thinking, yeah, these people, they go into dry places and they change the environment. They, they bring rain. They bring a flow of water into dry places. And then verse 7, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Verse 10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The original text there, what that, how that kind of reads is, I would rather serve in that place. I'd rather be the lowest doorkeeping servant in the house of God than excel and flourish in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. At this point, I read that, I was encouraged, and I fell back asleep. I don't often talk about the second dream I had, because I hate it. (laughs) But I woke up in a second dream the same night, and it was a small classroom in this school, and um, people were busting a nut to make church happen, and it wasn't just like faith-motivated work. It was toil. It was graft. It was hard work for little payoff, and it wasn't really affecting or changing anything, and it was just diminishing and dwindling. Like, the first dream that was undergirded and marked by revival power, the second one was certainly undergirded and, and um, yeah, undergirded and, I guess, inspired by religion. I've, I've grappled with these dreams for so long. I've been inspired by it. I've been confused by it, I've been annoyed by it, discouraged by it, disenfranchised with it. But I do believe these dreams were from God. Not long after I had those dreams, I was asking other Christian leaders, like, can you help me out? Like, what am I to do with this? 
and no, no one really knew how to help me out. Um, <laughs> a common thread in my life. <laughs> Darn, what you've got going on? We can't help with that. Um, at this time, there was a few of us going over to um, California to go and visit some churches. And just to cut a long story short, for time's sake, we sat in um, a pastor's office in a massive church. Not that that's relevant, but it was a, it was a big church, Mariner's Church, maybe a church of 10,000 or so. And, and the sitting leader at the time said, well, what's your vision? And I didn't know how to answer him. So I, I thought, well, I'll try the dream on him and see what he says about that. So I said, right, sit down. <laughs> um, and Adam was in the room, and um, Danny was in the room. And, yeah, I, I'd pulled my heart out with the dream. And I said, look, this is what I've seen, and I don't know what to do with it. And he said something that really then shaped, I guess, how I have processed the dream since. And he says, your dream is about building a church for the one... Let me say this, for the one that don't know they need it yet. And that may sound like a pithy platitude, I appreciate that. But in my heart at the time, it really just, I knew, I knew that this was a wisdom bomb for me. Because I guess I felt up until this point, you're trying to, you're trying to lead church and you're trying to be faithful to God. And often you're misunderstood in what you're trying to build. And his sentiment was this, is that you're building something that people don't know they need yet. But they will. And the word he used is you're building it for the one. And they don't know they need it yet. And that's why, since that trip, I came back and I prayerfully considered it. That's where the for the one thing comes from. Because ultimately, how I see it, I remember grappling with it on the plane is there were three dimensions. And if you look at that, you probably can't really tell, but we've put it into the vision brand. One, one, one. Three aspects of oneness. The one thing is we're a church for the one, Jesus Christ. He is first and foremost centered on the person of Jesus. Loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, lifting up Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We're a church also for the one body. We're here for one another. We're here to build a healthy Christian community where you can build lifelong friendships that you can do life and faith with, that you can laugh together, cry together, grieve together, have joy together. And then the third one being the one lost, the one who doesn't know Jesus yet. And I'm going to unpack that over the next three weeks. Um, But really, my provocation to us this morning, because we have to start somewhere as we're setting out, is that I do believe God has given us a dream. And I believe God's probably given you visions and dreams too. I know he has. And really, the invitation of this series is, can we engage the eyes of the Spirit to see what God is saying and then the conviction to start marching towards it with our feet and see the walls of Jericho come down for God's glory? You see, just to end here, Matthew, do you want to come on the keyboard? Because that gives me accountability, doesn't it? Every time. I know if there's a keyboard playing, I've got to land this plane. Okay, so I'm going to be three minutes now. I don't promise, but I say it anyways. Um, That the reason this dream has not only inspired me, but at times frustrated me, is because so often the vision God gave me has been at odds with what is before me. 
But let me just level with you, and I think this is what God's doing. I, this, with as much honesty as I can muster, I've never felt closer to the dream than I do right now. It's great, that was. Despite the heartache and trauma of 2020, the many setbacks and ministry crisis myself and Lou, just leveling with you, battled through in 2021, despite waving off many quality staff team. Over the last 18 months, it's, it's, it's absurd, but I've never felt closer to living the dream. It may not feel like it to you, but to us, this is how we feel. And God's been speaking to our church through the prayer meetings, that God has been chopping off dead branches and pruning fruitful branches. John 15. Pruning stuff back with the goal of advancement, expansion, fruitfulness. Let me tell you in a nutshell what I think has changed. It's the mindset about what we're building. We're not here to build a brand. We're not here to build a charity. We're not here to build an organization. We're not here to build a reputation. We're not even here to build a building. None of these things are bad, but let me tell you what we're more committed to than ever. This bit's really critical. Building a people. I think this is what I've been battling with for a while. The power in the dream was not what it was as a church, but rather who it was as a church. The house of a revival. (laughs) The house of expectation. The house of passion. And a house of salvation. The thing in the dream was that I don't think I really got it the first time round. But it was this idea that, like, what God was doing. wasn't yeah 
It wasn't coming from the platform. It was coming from the back. It was something led by God and by the people, not by the leaders. Leaders were required but only to facilitate what God was undoing in the people. The, the praise of God's people from the back was moving forward. Thank you. And so I just commit to you again, Matthew 16. Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does he mean when he says this? Is it a building? No. Is it a denomination? No. Is it a conference? No. Jesus had only one thing in mind and it wasn't Peter, contrary to Catholic belief. It was him. He was the rock. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says this, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is building his church but how is he doing it? By building people. The building's irrelevant. It's never been more irrelevant. The magic is in the people. In the people of God. And when I say magic, the sanctified version of it. The good stuff that God wants to do. It's not in the brand, it's not in the fabric, it's in us. And so just at the start of this series, that's the first part of setting out I want to do. He's just say, look, God has shown us some things, and I know God has shown, shown you things. We're a prophetic church, people moving the prophetic, and we have a great prophetic record here at Sunny Hill. We're so blessed. Got people who hear God and share God's word. And at the prayer meeting, we, that happens a lot. Come tonight, be a part of it for sure. But just that God... God is doing something and here we go we need to see it we need to respond to it and we need to live in the fullness of it let's pray I'm going to invite the band up as well at this point Father God we commit ourselves to you as your church Father, we believe for great things ahead of us because you're ahead of us. God, I pray, Father, that we will begin to see more and more the unfolding of these, this dream and other words that people have in this body and begin to see the worship of God just poured out from this body of people to such an extent that your presence is tangibly experienced in these moments together. God, we know this is bigger than a Sunday. It's bigger than a moment, Lord. It's a community of God's people that are marked with a hunger and an expectation and a desire to go after you. And so, Father, I pray for us over the next few weeks, help us understand more who we are and who you're calling us to be. Lord, as we long to see more people come to faith, 
as we long to see the ones who don't know what they need yet come into a place, come into a moment through relationship or in one of our gatherings or in a small group community and bow the knee to you. God, we so desire this. God, we desire to see the walls of Jericho come down and the people of God to rush into the blessing of what you have for them. God, this is what we want to see. And so, God, I just pray, Father, that we would be a people who go from strength to strength, glory to glory. Lord, that we would grow up in our faith, Lord God, that we would grow up in our walk with you. There would be a desire for the word of God and there would be a willingness for the worship of God. There'd just be a surrender in our heart. We would posture ourselves to press into every single thing that you've got for us, Lord God. God, we don't want to have the goal before us and miss it, God. We want to have the goal before us and score how you want us to score, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Lord, today that we can be in this moment together encouraging one another because of everything you've done on the cross. And it's only because of the cross, Lord, that we have a future. It's only because of the cross, Lord God, that there's any hope for us knowing life beyond the grave. And so, God, I pray, Father, for us as a congregation of God's people, Lord, that you would begin to open the eyes of our spirit more and more, and we would begin to live by faith and not by sight for your glory and for the building of this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just, yeah, give the Lord a round of applause. That's awesome.